I hope if there's anyone here today that's struggling with discouragement that today in the next few minutes the Holy Spirit will help you to um, to get a grip to go forward I want to talk to you about well just these these three words never give up never you know, uh, there's a widespread myth about a famous sh short speech that um, Sir Winston Churchill was supposed to have given uh, many years ago, and uh, I've heard preachers preach about it. Um, I've heard it quoted uh, many different ways, and uh, I've checked it out to see, and, and most of the stories that are told using this are actually um, not true. They're just a myth. I, did, did they put any pictures up? They had some pictures of, of Churchill with this, uh, with this big saying here, never, never, never give up. That, that was supposed to have been said by Winston Churchill at uh, graduation. I've, I've heard it that he said that at a graduation uh, at a university that uh, they were expecting this great, great speech from this world-renowned uh, speaker and that he just went to the podium and said, never, 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 never give up and just sat down. And they all were just staring at him. Uh, that, that didn't happen at a university and it didn't happen when he was Sir Winston Churchill. Actually, if you check with Bartlett's uh, familiar quotations and do a little research on it, you will discover that, that um, Churchill um, wasn't even Sir Winston Churchill until 1953. And he actually made this statement in October, on October the 29th in 1941 at his high school where he barely graduated. He almost flunked out. And... Uh, they asked him to speak, and, and he said those words uh, in his speech. It wasn't the only thing he said. He said some other things, but he's remembered for that. And like I said, you know, stories when they're told over and over, they kind of get added to in different versions and so forth. Uh, but nonetheless, I think it's, um, it's an important statement because it was the philosophy of his life. And in fact... In World War II, Sir Winston Churchill was able to inspire all of Europe and especially uh, England. And in fact, they may not have won the war. They could have been and probably would have been overthrown by Hitler and Germany uh, early in the war if it had not been for some of the speeches of Churchill to his nation just prodding them forward and encouraging them and basically telling them to never, never quit. Just don't quit. Well, this morning for the next few minutes, I, I want to I give you some quotes from the Bible that uh, certainly substantiate that. And also I'd like to bring to your attention an individual from the Scripture that has inspired more people even than Winston Churchill. And his name's the Apostle Paul. We'll look at some of that. First of all, I want to take you to the little book of Micah. It's one of the minor prophets near the end of the Old Testament. Chapter 7 and verse 8. Micah the prophet said, 
Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Micah's saying, <laughs> you, you, you folks that don't like me, you folks that want to see me fail, you folks that want to see my demise, don't, don't, don't get too comfortable, don't get too excited, even if you see me fall. Because there's one thing for sure, if I fall, I'm going to get up again. And then the wise man in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 15 and 16 said this, Do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. Look at this. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. You see what the wise man's saying here? If I fall even seven times, he recognized the fact that he might fail, that he might come up short, that he might even fall. But he said, even if I fall seven times, you can mark it down. I'll be getting up one more time. You know, the difference between success and failure is getting up one more time than you fail. That's the difference right there. Getting up that one more time. One of the tools the enemy uses on all of us is discouragement. I doubt that there's a person under the sound of my voice unless you're just a, just a highly unusual, optimistic to the max, um, forward-looking, always person. I doubt there's anybody here who hasn't been discouraged to one degree or another. And discouragement can go all the way from just a fleeting thought that runs through your mind that just says, why don't you just quit? All the way to the other extreme where you become so depressed that you can't even get off the couch and do anything. It, it can literally depress you to the point of being disabled. And somewhere in between is where most people fall. I would say that in this congregation this morning, there, there are many of you that are dealing with discouragement to one level or another. It may just be just as slight as just occasionally getting a little frustrated and saying, um, maybe I ought to just quit. And then, and then, of course, you put that behind you and you go on forward all the way over to the other extreme where you just don't know if you can make it another day or not. Well, I've come this morning, and I hope by the power of the Holy Spirit to encourage you to get up one more time and go forward. Amen? Let me give you one thing that Paul talked about. It has three points to it, and I love this. Forget, focus, and fortitude is what he talks about in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Look at this. He's talking to the church at Philippi. And he says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Let me stop here uh, just a moment because that's an old English word that we don't use too much anymore. And um, you might not even know for sure what Paul's saying here. The word apprehend means to take hold of. And what Paul is saying is I may not have gotten a hold of all of this yet. I, I've, I've not arrived. I'm still working on it. But, but he said, even though, church, I have not taken hold of all of it, this one thing I do. I love that statement. This one thing I do. 
What I like about it is Paul didn't say, now, church, these 17 things, if you'll learn, you know, and, and you see all kinds of these, 20, if you do these 25 things or, or 14 things that will assure you to have perfect health, and, you know, you, you see all of these advertisements about sowing. Paul just said one thing, one thing. It's got three points to it, three prongs to it, but one thing. He said, the first thing this, in this one thing that I do, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. Say, forget what's behind. Can I say to you this morning that all of your mistakes, all of your failures, all of your shortcomings, every place that you've ever messed up is behind you. It's in your past. It's in your past. When you awoke, awoke this morning, praise God, you faced a brand new day. And not only did you face a brand new day with a brand new clean slate, you faced this morning a heavenly father who met you this morning when you opened your eyes with brand new mercies for this day. So what Jeremiah said in, in uh, Lamentation, he said that his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Wow. When you open those little peepers this morning, God said, good morning. Here are new mercies for you for this day. Brand new day. God's not looking to your past. God's not holding all your failures over the top of your head. God's not standing there saying, boy, you messed up and I'm here to get you. Not at all. Quite the opposite is true. And if you'll just get a hold of this this morning and realize that every mistake, every shortcoming, every failure, everything wrong is in your past. Glory to God. And Paul said, I choose to forget the past. I'm just, I'm just not going to dwell on that. I'm not going to bring that up and, that, and think about it. I'm not going to allow my past to hinder my future. If you focus on that, and you've heard me say this many times. If you just notice when you're driving a car, you got a great big windshield to look forward with. you got a little bitty mirror to look in the rear. And that means you're not supposed to spend all your time looking at the mirror. It's okay to glance up there every once in a while. Paul did that to give a good testimony every once in a while. He'd glance up there, but it was always with the purpose of saying, thank God, God gave me victory and he brought me through and, and to give his testimony. You can't go through life looking in the rear view mirror and make any kind of progress at all. You got to look at that great big windshield and what's in front of you. And, and so Paul said, I forget those things which are behind. And then he said, Reaching forward, that's his focus. I'm going to focus on what's ahead. I'm going to focus on this brand new day. I'm going to focus on the fact that today, praise God, is the first Sunday in May in 2018, and God met me this morning with mercy, and his grace is wonderful, and he loves me, and his son Jesus died for me, and I'm his child, and he's got a great future ahead of me. I'm going to focus on what's ahead of me, looking forward to those things which are behind. And then he said, Here's the fortitude. With everything that's in me, he said, I press toward the mark or towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. That, that word press there, it actually is, a, is an athletic term. And, and the, the mental picture that you need to get is a runner 
rounding the last curve on the track and headed for the goal line and he's reaching forward with everything that's in him he's running with all he's got even stretching his neck to get across that goal line fortitude everything he said with everything that's in me i'm going forward i'm gonna forget what's behind i'm gonna focus ahead and I'm going to go after it with everything that's in me. And I would like to encourage you this morning to adopt that kind of attitude because it sure served the Apostle Paul well. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. I love those, that thing of three little words anyway. Um, it's amazing how many lives have been saved by just a little catchy uh, thing of three words. Many years ago, most of you are too young to remember this, but there was a day, believe it or not, and it, it, it lasted for many, many years, in fact, from the beginning of the railroad all the way up until they finally, somebody came up with the idea of the flashing lights and the crossbars that come down that force you to stop when the train is coming. Well, for many years, decades, in fact, we didn't have that in the country. They just, when they, when they built a railroad, they just put the track right across the road and, and it was up to you to stop when the train was coming. And a lot of people got killed because they didn't realize the train was coming. They'd just be riding along, driving a car, their mind would be someplace else and all of a sudden they'd be running across a railroad track and boom. And so and the railroad companies got together and they said, we've got to do something about this. And they got the Department of Transportation to give them permission to put up signs. And so the first thing they determined to do was put a signs way ahead of the railroad crossing saying railroad crossing ahead. But then they, they wanted to put something really catchy at the crossing itself. So they offered a, a prize, uh, quite a bit of money in that day. They offered a prize for the person that could come up with the, the, a statement that they could put on a sign that would get people's attention, not only would it get their attention, it would, it would be something they would remember, they wouldn't forget. And the person that won the prize came up with three words, stop, look, and listen. And they put that on a sign that actually was crossbars, remember those? But at, in front of the railroad track, one, one would say stop, look, and the other would say listen. And so people, it, it caught on. And so people would, when they would see railroad crossing ahead, they would immediately begin to slow down. And when they got to the tracks, they would stop. And then they would look both ways. And then they would listen to hear if there was a train coming. And if they didn't hear anything, they would proceed across the tracks. It cut the fatality rate better than half. Uh, nearly two-thirds, I think it was, when they put those signs up and, and people started abiding by it. And so they saved a lot of lives. There, there was another little three-word catchy thing that caught on that saved a lot of lives too. If somebody happens to catch on fire for whatever reason, the, the natural inclination when you realize you're on fire is to react. You know, the the, the fight or flight thing kicks in. And so people have a tendency to run. And that's the worst thing you can do if you're on fire is to run because the, the wind flames, causes the flames to, to, to just uh, go up. And so they, they tried to come up with something and they finally did. Three little words. Anybody know what they are? 
You got it. Stop, drop, and roll. And especially for young people and kids, uh, for, for them to know that it saved a lot of lives. Somebody realizes they're on fire, they just stop, drop, and roll. Get the fire put out. And so a lot of lives have been saved by that. Paul said, I forget the past, I focus on the future, and I press toward the goal. Glory to God. I hope you will adopt that in your life this morning. Unfortunately, and this is the second point of my message today, unfortunately, quitting is an option. It's an option. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're battling with. But I do know if the enemy can convince you to give up, then he's won the battle and you've lost the battle. Now, you, you may say, well, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. And that's true. I, I may not know what you're going through today. And I know that, that the battles of life can really be hard. For example, when Job was going through the battle of his life, his wife told him, said, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just quit? But Job refused to quit. I want you to look at this apostle Paul. I told you I want to bring him before you. We used that little passage a while ago from Philippians where he told us what he does in his life, kind of his philosophy of life. But here's a partial list of some of the things that Paul went through. Before I read this list, can I say to you this morning, many times when you're going through a struggle, you feel like you're the only one that's dealing with what you're dealing with. And you, you, we have a natural tendency to look around and feel like, well, everybody else is doing better than me. And you'll look around if you're not careful as a Christian, you'll look around and say, well, there's somebody that don't even serve God and they're doing better than I'm doing. They don't go to church. They're getting along better than I'm getting along. They don't give anything to God. I tithe, I give offerings, I even sacrifice to help people. And they're doing better than me. You know, David in the Old Testament almost backslid over that very thing. He said, my feet were well nigh slipped when I considered the prosperity of the wicked. David looked around. He said, look at all these wicked people, these ungodly folks. Look at these politicians. I'm sorry. Um, um, not... not not all politicians are. In fact, I would encourage you to find out who the good ones are and vote for them. Amen. <laughs> Help us clear the swamp. <laughs> but anyway, um, we, we, if, if we're not careful, that, and that's what happened to David. He said, I, I just about lost it because I saw people prospering that weren't living right and weren't serving God until he said, I went to the house of God. And that's where he got things straightened out. And he concluded, hey, this isn't the end. This is not the end. Tell your neighbor, this is not the end. <clears throat> Whatever you're going through this morning, this is not the end. Hang in there. Here's what, here's what Paul went through. A partial list is found in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 28. From the Jews, now remember, Paul was a Jew. 
from the Jews, my own people, I received five times, I received 40 stripes minus one. Five times, he said, my own people tied me up and whipped me with 39 lashes. Now, folks, that, that, that'll, make your, that'll make your worst folks look a lot better. I don't know how bad your folks are, but I doubt there's anybody in here got folks that's tied them up and beat them five times with 39 stripes every time. And then he said, three times I was beaten with rods. Now, you may say, well, why'd they use a whip one time, a rod another time? Let me tell you, the, the purpose of beating with the whips was, to, of course, the pain and just ripping up the flesh. But when they beat you with rods, the purpose of that was to bruise the bones. Anybody ever had a bone bruise? You're talking about something painful and something that lasts a long time. When you get a bone bruise, and that's what they do. Soldier would take that rod and, and they would try to crack their ribs or, or bang on their backbone. And, and, and they, the whole purpose, like I said, was to bruise the bone. Awful painful. Paul went through that three different times. Falsely accused, falsely arrested, and beaten three times. He went on and said, once I was stoned in Lystra, they drug him outside of the city and stoned him. They thought they stoned him to death. <laughs> Late that evening, when the cool evening breeze began to flow, blow, Paul revived and pulled himself up from the side of that road where they left him bleeding, beaten pile of stones over the top of him and thought he was dead. And guess what he did? He went right back in the city and preached Jesus again. My goodness alive. Let me go on. He said, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleepiness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Boy, old Paul went through it. He went through it. If anybody that I know of in Scripture had a reason to be discouraged and throw in the towel, it would have been the Apostle Paul. By the way, I said that was just a partial list. Let me read you some more about what Paul went through. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul said, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now, I've heard all my life, we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. And then I've heard people speculate. Some people said he had weak eyes. Some people said he had a weak body. Some people, and then just go on and on and on. And I've never understood why they have any problem with this verse. Put it back. If you've got it on the screen, put that back up there. I want you to read this carefully and slowly, and I'll show you what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. It's no mystery to it. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. In other words, Paul had received 
special revelations from God. In fact, at one point, he was caught up into the third heaven and saw things that it's not even lawful for him to write, he said. Now, the reason it wasn't lawful for him to write, remember, he's talking about the law now. He's talking about religious Jewish law. Religious Jewish law said you can't write about things unless you have a witness. And Paul didn't have a witness. that Nobody went up there with him. So he wasn't even allowed to write about those things, some of the revelations that he had. And, 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 but, but because he had such revelation and such experiences with God, the, the tendency of the flesh and what the enemy would, would try to get him with would be exaltation or pride. And so... Now, God did not give Paul this thorn in the flesh. He simply allowed it. Just like in Job's trial, God did not send those trials to Job, but he allowed Job to go through those trials. He allowed, say, let's continue to read. Do you see this? A thorn in the flesh was given to me, comma, see that? A messenger of Satan to buffet me, comma, lest I be exalted above measure. Between these two commas is Paul's thorn in the flesh. He's telling us, he said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. And he, he stops his Satan. He could, have just, he could have just said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, lest I be exalted above measure. That's exactly what he's saying. But, but he puts it between these two commas. He tells us what it is. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. That was Paul's thorn in the flesh. And God did not give it to him. God allowed it. Satan gave it to him. So what Paul went through, anybody ever been criticized? Four or five of you here besides me have been criticized. <laughs> Boy, the rest of y'all are good. I'm telling you right now. You, you've never had any criticism. <laughs> well, I'm kind of sad about that because if you've never had any criticism, it's ahead of you. You're not going to get through this life without being criticized. I can promise you that. <laughs> it just happened. But can you imagine a demonic spirit that entered into somebody in every city that Paul went to and they followed him around criticizing him, falsely accusing him. That's why he had all these arrests and, and all these beatings and everything because they falsely accused him. That Satan empowered somebody in every place that Paul went. Every place he went, there was somebody telling lies on him and, and criticizing him and trying to put him down and making fun of him. He was criticized everywhere. Well, God allowed that because he said, Paul, I don't want you to get exalted. There's one thing for sure. If you get enough criticism, you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to stay humble. You're going to have to stay before me. But if God said, remember this, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. So let me tell you something this morning. Whatever you're going through, even if God allows you to go through a trial that you don't understand just remember, it's always for your good and God's glory that he allows it for the time. And his grace is sufficient to get you through it and be victorious in the end. Amen. Give God praise for that. So that's what Paul went through. 
Let me tell you some more that Paul went through. Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 24. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul saying, listen, not only has, has this demon-possessed person followed me around and in every town that I go to, every church I preach at, there's somebody that comes up with all this criticism. He said, the Holy Spirit even has given me warning everywhere I go. Hey, if you go to the next town, just be prepared because this is what's waiting for you. And Paul said, even though I have been warned that, that these things are there. And the reason God warned him was not so that he wouldn't go, but so that he would not go uninformed. You understand what I'm saying? He knew what was ahead of him, so he made a choice. Now, I don't know about you, but I just, I, here, here, I, I, I'm just talking, being honest with you this morning. I don't know about you. But if in this service this morning, somebody came with me to me with a prophetic word and said, uh, Pastor, if you, keep, <laughs> if you keep doing these Sunday night services, uh, tribulations are going to hit you like you ain't never had before. Trouble's going to hit you and everything. Um, I would be tempted to, to, um, to call that off. Um, <laughs> and if, if, if I got invited to preach somewhere and, uh, and just before I got ready to go preach, somebody came to me with a prophetic word and said, pastor, if you go there, tribulations waiting you, they, they're going to criticize you. They're going to condemn you. And then they're going to put you in jail. They're going to whip you. They're going to try to beat you. They may even drag you out of the city and try to stone you to death. Um, it, let, let, let's say somebody in Birmingham had invited me to preach and, and that word came to me. I'd be tempted to go to Nashville. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, or, or maybe Disney World. Or, you know, I, I'd be, let, that'd be a good time for a vacation, wouldn't it? Let, let's go on vacation. But, but here's how Paul looked at that. He took, and these words were true. These words were true. And when they'd come to him, he'd said, none of these things move me. I am determined that I'm going to finish this race. And he said, not only am I going to finish it, I'm going to finish it with joy. Glory to God. Joy, unspeakable and full of glory. That's how Paul lived. So my third and final point, I'd like for you to emulate the apostle Paul and determine today that you're going to finish well. Because I'm here to tell you this morning, church, I've read the end of the book and we win. We, if you can finish, you're going to be victorious. Don't quit. Don't quit. Thomas Edison said, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. I know a lot of people that's been so close to a breakthrough when they would back off and quit. 
Billy Graham, after he preached his first sermon, by the way, he had studied and prepared four sermons. He had four sermons in his arsenal when he decided to be a preacher and be an evangelist so he could go preach four nights. And the first time that he preached, he preached all four of those sermons in that one time in less than 10 minutes. And he was so discouraged after that sermon or that try at preaching that he thought about giving up. The enemy tried to get him to quit. Can you imagine what the world would have missed if Billy Graham, after that miserable failure of preaching, had said, I just don't believe I'm cut out for this. I think I'll quit. Listen, folks, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. You're too close to a breakthrough. Don't quit. I, I like sports, and, and one sport that I like that's not near as popular now as it used to be, but years ago it was a very popular sport. I mean, it's still going, but it's, uh, there are other things that have kind of um, taken its place a little bit. But I used to love professional boxing. And um, I, I know that don't sound spiritual at all. <laughs> In fact, my wife says that professional boxing is sinful. And she's probably right. She said people ought not beat on one another like that. But, but I, I just I, I always loved professional boxing. And, and, and by the way, so did Paul. Because um, <laughs> he talked about shadow boxing. Remember that? He said, I bring my body under subject, discipline myself. I don't just beat the air. That's shadow boxing. Paul, Paul used a lot of, uh, he loved sports as well. He talked about racing, running the race with patience and he talked about boxing and all those things. And my, my favorite boxer of all times, I believe, now I know that many of you would disagree and certainly a lot of people in the sports world would disagree with me, but I believe that the greatest heavyweight champion in professional boxing of all times is a man named George Foreman. And uh, now I know that most people think it's Muhammad Ali, and I'll tell you, um, to me it's George Foreman. I remember, I remember when George Foreman won the Olympics for the United States. Um, and, and that's when I first, when he first got my attention. He's just a young kid, just a teenager. I never, I never saw a kid hit with the strength that George Foreman did. I mean, he was just so powerful. And I remember when he won the gold medal, won the gold medal in the Olympics. It was a time when there was a culture shift going on in America. And there was a lot of anti-American activity taking place and a lot of demonstrating in the streets and especially a lot of anti-war demonstrators. And when, when George Foreman won the gold medal for the United States, he held up a little American flag in, in the ring and walked around the ring waving. He was so proud of America so proud of America. But the cultural shift, and especially in the younger folks of that day, was totally against him. And that's why Muhammad Ali was a draft dodger and everybody was on his bandwagon. And he was, he was the superstar of all times. And so he got all the attention. And George Foreman got put down because of his pro-American stance. Well, he went on to become a professional fighter and he, he fought everybody that was out there that could fight him. 
and nobody could could win he was so strong he'd just knock everybody out and just no time flat and I, I remember watching one match where they put a new boxer in every after every third round he fought three rounds knocked that guy out put a new one in he bought, fought three more rounds knocked that guy out and they put another one in. he went 12 rounds with a fresh fighter every every fourth round <laughs> and, and nobody could touch him until his most famous fight in 1974 called the rumble in the jungle you remember that when they went off to Zaire in Africa and he fought Muhammad Ali and uh, I watched that fight and um, I can I can I, I can tell you it doesn't matter because it's it's just my opinion everybody has an opinion but but I can tell you why I think he lost that fight and I think it was fixed but that but that's that doesn't change anything <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> he <laughs> anyway I, I won't go into the details of that. But that loss nearly devastated him. He continued to fight until 1977, and that was his last professional fight before he retired. He fought Jimmy Young, and Jimmy Young beat him. And he quit fighting after that. He just he walked away from the ring and, and retired. Now, he went into such deep depression that it almost destroyed his life. But somebody told him about Jesus. And George Foreman gave his heart and life to the Lord. And George Foreman started preaching on the streets of Houston, Texas, in the worst section of Houston, Texas. He saw young boys, young men, that were being enticed into gangs, drugs, and he had such a compassion for them, such a heart for them, that he decided to, to just spend the rest of his life ministering and, and winning those boys to the Lord. And, and God just really blessed him. He became an ordained preacher and uh, started a church with these young people. And, and he would play ball with them. He would, he would just do it. And, and he, he realized he needed a gym. And he didn't have the money to build a gym. And so he decided after 10 years that the best way for him to raise the money to build the gym and other ministry helps for all these kids was to go back into boxing. And he announced his return to professional boxing 10 years after he had retired. Everybody thought he was crazy. Nobody thought he had a, nobody thought he had a chance whatsoever. But he started winning fight after fight after fight. And finally, in 1994, at the age of 45, he fought for the heavyweight championship of the world against a young 27-year-old Michael Moore. Anybody remember that fight? Boy, I can tell you, it, it was late at night, and I, I, I didn't get, it wasn't on TV, so I was listening to it on the radio. And it was way past my bedtime, believe me, way past my bedtime. It was around midnight. When, uh, when, when George Foreman, age 45, knocked out Michael Moore, age 27, and I jumped out of my bed. I'm telling you, you talking, I, I went nuts. I went, I went crazy. My hero, George Foreman, had become the oldest heavyweight champion of the world in history and he remains to this day the oldest 
heavyweight champion in all of professional boxing, George Foreman. One of my favorite books outside of religious books in my library is a book called George. George had five kids, and he named them all George. <laughs> Not only did George make enough money to build the gym for those kids, and the ministry started growing. He built a church, and things just kept growing. But he became a businessman and an entrepreneur after 45. And he, 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 uh, he started advertising Anybody remember what it was? The George Foreman Grill. I will not ask for a show of hands. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I bet you some of you have a George Foreman Grill. I have one. In fact, I have two. I like George. George sold 100 million units of the George Foreman Grill. Imagine what he's been able to do for the Lord since he got up from his defeat and decided to try again. Not only that, but listen to this. In 1999, George Foreman signed the contract. He didn't want to keep having to do all this work selling these grills. So he just let them use his name. They gave him $138 million to use his name on the George Foreman Grill after 45. Colonel Sanders learned to fry chicken after he was 65. Walt Disney went bankrupt five times. You would have never heard of Disneyland and Disney World and Mickey Mouse and Goofy and and Donald Duck and all of the rest of them if he hadn't have got up and tried one more time. One more time. One more time. That's what Paul said. I'm going to finish this race with joy. Amen. Glory to God. Folks, joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness has to, has to do with outward circumstances. Joy has to do with what's inside. And the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah said, is your strength. And Paul said, I don't care what it looks like on the outside. I don't care how bleak the future may look from what everybody tells me. I don't care what's ahead of me. I don't even count my life dear to myself. Because he said, I know what's going to happen on the other side of this thing. I'm going to finish this race with joy. And he wrote to Timothy, his son in the, in, in the spirit, in 2 Timothy 4, near the end of his life, verses 7 and 8, and here's what he said. When he came to the end of the road, he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Would you stand with me this morning? Paul said, at the end of his way, remember he, he said way back there to the Philippians, three things I do. I forget the past, I focus on the future, and I press toward the mark. At the end of his way, he looked back and he said, I fought a good fight. You know what a good fight is? Listen, think about it more. Folks, the only good fight is a fight you win. Amen. Amen. 
That's why Paul challenged us, said, fight the good fight of faith. Let me tell you something, church, if you, if you just refuse to give up, if you keep fighting, we're going to win this fight. It's a good fight because we win. And he said, I finished the race. I made it to the finish line. And he said, I've kept the faith all the way through. And now he said, I'm headed for the crown. I'm headed for the crown. In conclusion, I want to say one thing to you this morning. Never give up. Just don't quit. Don't quit. I want you to bow your head with me while the prayer team comes. We're preparing to pray. I have a special burden for this service today. Most of the time, the burdens for one service is no different than any other. But this week, while I was praying about today, the Lord really impressed on my heart. I've been burdened ever since that somebody was going to be in this 11 o'clock service who has come to the end of your rope and you feel like giving up. The enemy is even talking to you about taking your life because you don't even, you, you just don't think it's worth it anymore. You've had about all you can deal with. God didn't send me here this morning to condemn you. But he did send me here this morning to encourage you to bring that care to him. Come to him. Come to him. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. You may be this close to a breakthrough. You may be this close to the answer to your prayer. You may be one step of faith. And that's what it'll take for you to step out from that seat this morning. You're going to have to put forth an effort. You're going to have to press like Paul said. You have to forget what's behind you. You're going to have to forget all that stuff that's been said about you or said to you. You have to forget that. You're going to have to focus this morning. And you're going to have to press. But if you'll take that one step towards that aisle, and the next one will be easier, and the next one will be easier than that. And if you'll bring your care down here to the Lord today, I can promise you, You'll be met by a heavenly father who's welcoming you with open arms. Just like he did the prodigal son when he returned home. In fact, he ran to him and embraced him and said, welcome home. The Lord's waiting on you this morning to give him the opportunity to intervene in your situation. He's waiting for that opportunity. Will you give him that chance? Will you give him that opportunity? The altar's open. I'm going to invite you to pray. Whatever your needs are, come on. If you're unsaved, come give your heart to Jesus. If you're away from the Lord, come back home today. If you're sick in body and need healing, we'll be glad to pray with you and for you and believe God to touch you and heal you. Or if you just want to find a place and pray by yourself. Some this morning in the first service just, just came and knelt and prayed and just by themselves. 
But in this service today, the challenge is for you to say, I'm not going to quit. I am not going to give up. Some of you may be about to give up on your marriage. Don't quit. Some of you may be about to give up on your children. Don't quit. Some of you may be about to give up on your education. Don't quit. Don't quit. Whatever it is today, you're, the enemy is battling you with discouragement. And you, you feel like you've gone about as far as you can go. But Jesus is here. He didn't quit. He went all the way to succeed in bringing us salvation and hope and a future. And there's hope for you today. I promise you there's hope for you today. And this altar is open. I ask you to respond. If you feel a desire to pray, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you to him.